you are stuck in the grind and don't know how to get moving, if you have lost your dream or struggled to know how to make it happen, if you have been dreaming of changing the world, but you're not sure where to start, the Add Valued Entrepreneurs podcast will help you transform your life with tools, knowledge, and support that will allow you to create a thriving business that aligns with your values and goals. This podcast is for entrepreneurs who want more freedom and fulfillment from the work they do so they can live the life they desire. You deserve it. It is possible. This show features interviews with people who have already created success in their lives and businesses and stories about everyday people living extraordinary lives. It's time for you to add value. My guest today is Christopher Peck. Christopher is an award-winning theater director and writer turned public speaking and interpersonal communication coach. He excels working with passionate speakers to create show-stopping presentations meant to influence and mobilize large audiences. While always a successful public speaker in one-to-one situations, Christopher was timid, non-confrontational, and avoided even the healthiest conflict, often to the detriment of his relationships. He dedicated the last several years of his life to growing as an interpersonal communicator and has developed a breakthrough communicator program for shy, anxious individuals who lack the confidence and skills to build deeper, more meaningful personal and professional relationships. Christopher lives in Denver with his wife, Arielle, and their newborn son, Owen, and of course, their dog, Presley. Well, Christopher, thank you so much for joining me today. I am just so excited to learn more about your story and uh, how you're serving people in uh, in this entrepreneurial world. Thank you, thank you, Robert. I'm I'm really excited to be here today. Thank you for having me on on your podcast. This is an exciting opportunity for me. Absolutely. So so tell me a little bit about your transition into into entrepreneurship. Sure, absolutely. So uh, in 2016, I was teaching at a university in Southern Alabama. I was a visiting assistant professor. Uh, in the Department of Theater and Dance. And that position was wrapping up. I had considered moving on to tenured positions, you know, but one of the things I noticed is I was becoming really disillusioned with the academic scene. Um, I felt like the resources weren't available for teachers to, to really lean in and do the best they possibly could. The money started to dry up, the position started to go away. And I had a partner out here in Denver, Colorado, who, you know, we had been long distance for four years. It was time for that relationship to mature by being in the same place. And so ultimately I moved out here to Denver. And one of the things that I noticed when I was teaching it, when I was teaching at the university, I taught a lot of general ed courses. And I had a number of students who would come to me and lament their public speaking class. <laughs> and one of the things they talked about is, how are we supposed to be successful in this class when we're only meeting a handful of times a semester in person and everything else is happening online? You know, which, which for me was a total stop. It's like, wait a minute, you guys are learning how to be public speakers, but you're not doing it in an environment where you get to practice. There's no practice arena for what it is that you're doing. Um, of course, you're terrified. Of course, you're overwhelmed. The only time you're sharing your ideas in front of other individuals is like on that day. And there's no, there's no trial and error. Um, and that felt, that it felt like there was something lacking in that, in that educational system. And so when I moved out here to Denver, I wanted to take my skills as a professional stage director, and that's what my master's degree is uh, in from Baylor University as a professional stage director by trade. But I wanted to take my skills as a theater director and help put other individuals' stories on stage, uh, put, their, put their words on stage, their voice on stage, empower individuals to deliver dynamic presentations for their audience, get audiences excited about who they are, um, and it and it felt like it felt like a natural transition for me. I'd never done the entrepreneurial thing before. I was terrified of it. I had uh, imposter syndrome and limiting beliefs, and you know many of those things that I'm still working through today. But you know, but five years later, I'm, I'm going strong, and I'm and I'm helping individuals as best I can. Absolutely, that's a that's a a, a natural progression, like you said. I think it uh, it, it seems like 
Well, how would somebody become a speaker coach? And yet I think the way that you came into it um, is very natural. And so that's that's really encouraging. Um, you mentioned a couple things about your mindset and imposter syndrome. What have been some valuable tools for you in, in dealing with those? You know, you know, it's hard to say because <laughs> I'm still working through those things. You know, it's like, it's, I, I'd love to be able to talk about imposter syndrome as if it's something that doesn't creep up and exist in my life anymore. But it, but it very much is. Um, I still think of myself oftentimes as, oh, I'm a theater director, not a speaker coach. And actually, Robert, one of the things that's been most valuable for me is I spent the first couple of years of my business trying to transform into what I thought the world was looking for a speaker coach to be, if that makes mm, sense. Absolutely. Like it was very, yeah, so I was very much thinking, okay, so I have to be, you know, so I have to be this very specific type of person. And, and obviously, since I'm going to be a speaker coach, and I did a lot of I did a lot of networking along the way. So everybody has to see me as, you know, put together and present and I'm not allowed to use ums or filler words because I'm a speaker coach because I'm supposed to be training people out of those things. And, and what I realized is one, it's helped a lot for me to be okay with the fact that I am a, I'm a theater director before I'm a speaker, speaker coach. And I think that benefits me in a couple of different ways. One, it allows me a space, it allows me an authenticity to kind of push back against what corporate America would define a public speaking coach as, but it also sets me apart is, yes, I'm gonna sit down with you and we're gonna work through, you know, why, why do you speak so quickly? Like what's going on in your life that, that you feel like you have to share your ideas as quickly as possible or nobody's gonna listen to you. So, so of course I'm gonna do that, but at the same time, I have a skill set, you know, as a veteran audience member, as somebody who's been putting stories on stage, you know, stories on stages for decades. I have, I have the skill set of putting you on stage, creating dynamic presentations, and by creating that niche for myself, even within other public speakers, I think that's what's, that's what's helped embolden me as I've moved along. And in fact, when individuals comment on the work that I do, it's always those idiosyncrasies that they're most enthusiastic about. Those pieces that set me apart from even other public speaking coaches is my background in theater, the way that I approach creating a character on stage, the way that I approach, you know, things like vocal tonation. And, and it's not just about, you know, being loud, it's about enunciating, but, but all of these nuances that I bring to my work, that's, that's what's really helped define who I am. Not how I can be more like a public speaking coach, but how I'm different. Well, that's terrific. I, you mentioned a couple of things there that, that I just really think is helpful to people. And like the imposter syndrome, um, the idea that that ever goes away is uh, kind of a misnomer. Um, mm -hmm. Heard Hugh Jackman on Tim Ferriss's podcast just this last year. And uh, Hugh Jackman is talking about, yeah, you know, I still fight with imposter syndrome. And, filming greatest showman still thinking that I'm the worst actor in the world and why should I be doing this? Um, yeah, yeah. And so, so take solace in the fact that you're not alone um, in, in battling that. And, uh, and I think all of us at some level, imposter syndrome is just always going to be a part of challenging the status quo. I think it's part of our brains uh, mechanisms to protect us, mm -hmm. right? To mm -hmm. keep us safe, keep us from getting eaten by the tiger outside the cave. And, right. uh, <laughs> and, right. and he, even though, even though we've evolved, that part of our brain hasn't, hasn't given that up. Um, yeah. So, yeah. so that's really valuable. And the second thing um, is that journey of finding that it's okay to be you and that, that the world doesn't need another speaker coach that's the same as you know speaker coach a b and c and that mm -hmm. it, it's okay to be you and that's a really important um, distinction because because you're going to bring elements to your training that no other speaker coach has experienced and and no other um, entrepreneur has has brought to the table and so one of the things i always want to help encourage clients and our audience is is in the idea that 
that the gift inside of you was was put inside of you to share with the world in your way and not copy mm-hmm. somebody else. Um, and if you copy yeah. somebody else, it won't last as long because it's inauthentic and and people figure it out pretty fast. Um, and you can't hold yeah. on to that fake image long enough because it's not who you are. Um, yeah. So good for you that you figured that out. And uh, that just adds power to your story. Um, so yeah, that's, that's terrific. Obviously, confidence is a big part of acting and directing. And so mm-hmm. at what stage did you develop the confidence to be a leader in on stage? Yeah, you know, that's an interesting thing. So I've always been a theatrical, you know, my, and, my, and my parents, I think, fostered this from a young age. I, I, I acted out movies that I would see. I did elaborate death scenes in the middle of our living room. I mean, <laughs> I've always been a very theatrical individual. Uh, I'm charismatic. I... You know, it's I can't I can't hide what I'm feeling on my face. You know, I'm, I'm one of those you know one of those speakers, and so it was always very natural and comfortable to get on stage and share my ideas. Um, I it's the the interesting thing about it, and the interesting thing about the work that I do is it's always been comfortable to be on stage and perform. It's been less comfortable to you know situations like this where here i am one-on-one being vulnerable uh you know trying still trying to determine like what does authenticity mean to me what does that look like um but also balancing these things um you know we, we use this word authenticity a lot in corporate america and i think it's the sexy word in business right now is everybody wants to talk about authenticity and everybody wants to talk about being their authentic self but I actually don't hear a lot of people define that word. And, you know, and coming from a theatrical background where, you know, where actors, performers have been pinpointed as some of the least authentic people, right? And we look at, we look at the contentious relationship that theater has with religion or theater has with politics or theater even has with corporate America. And it's always, oh, well, they're an actor, right? They must be a really good liar or they're being disingenuous or how could you play that many characters or there must be something wrong with you. And so being able to define what my, what my authenticity looks like in one-on-one situations like this where, where I'm able to just sort of sit down and, and be open and honest about myself versus is, for me is actually much more challenging than getting on stage and being dynamic and being charismatic because I have an audience to play to. I have, I have a group of individuals who are there to see me. I'm controlling the narrative. You know, I'm the only one speaking. Um, and so performing has never been a challenge. I guess the challenge is when to stop performing mm-hmm. and what does that look like? And so um, in a roundabout way, I think that's an answer to your question. Oh, absolutely. And I think, uh, it's it's good that you you know you're willing to wrestle with that and and obviously actors play a character right and and the character for many of them you know they they stay in character you know throughout production and mm-hmm. just to just to maintain that that character's characteristics and of course you know i think the world falls in love with characters and not necessarily the person playing the character and it's a it's a false you know it's a poor expectation to put on an actor to expect them to act like like their characters Um, but i think a lot of times that's that's what happens for me um a a big part of my coaching is 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 story right and and Mm -hmm. the story that we tell ourselves is just as important as the story that we tell about ourselves um and so helping people you know, deal with things in their past and be able to rewrite their story and and be able to not change the event, but change the way they tell the story about the event to themselves, you know, especially with, you know, past traumas or past betrayals or, you know, some of the negative things that have happened in people's past. And so my goal is never to change their character, but it's to help them reflect differently on the story when they talk, talk about it to themselves, right? Yeah. Um, to give them that freedom of, of not being a victim and not allowing that story to control their future. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, so- well, and, I, and I think one of the things that, 
that's always been really important for me. And especially, you know, in the space that I occupy where, yes, I'm trying to, I'm trying to elevate your authentic self, but at the same time, I'm trying to like I'm trying to elevate your authentic self on stages of dozens or hundreds or thousands. And and one of the things that I've had to become very comfortable with as a coach is pushing individuals' authenticity. You know, one of the traps that I think we fall into when we talk about our authenticity is I'm not going to do that because it feels inauthentic. When really you're not going to do that because it feels uncomfortable, right? <laughs> nice. and, yeah. and, I, and I think one of the most important things about authenticity, and a friend of mine shared this with me, and it really resonated with me, is the idea that as we are exploring our authentic self, we have the right, and I think even the responsibility to try different things on, you know? And so as a, you know, as a, as a public speaking coach, as someone who's, who's really your first audience member, I love challenging speakers to try something on. You know, let's try this on. Let's, this is going to feel uncomfortable, but I just want you to try it. I want, and, and then let me show you what it looks like from my perspective. And then let's talk about, is that what you want your audience to see? As opposed to, you know, I just, you know, I just want to be safe and I want to be myself and I, and I, and I don't really want to challenge individuals because I'm so in my head about who I am and, and what I bring to the table. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, I think authenticity is important, but I think challenging and pushing authenticity and growth, growth within authenticity is every bit as important. Oh, absolutely. Cause I think all of us at any level, whether you're comfortable on a stage or not, um, stepping out and trying another level is, mm -hmm. is pushes that same, that same part of your brain and says, no, no, <laughs> you're going to get eaten if you do that. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so, so yeah, I think it is important to challenge the status quo. And even if, you know, even if you spoke on a stage to a thousand people or spoke in a room to 10 people, you know, there's a status quo in that, that, that you could push, push against mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. challenge to do, you know, challenge your level of excellence, right? So that, yeah. so that you're reaching the audience in a better way. Um, yeah. And obviously I think all of us can continue to improve in those ways. If, if we choose to push against that, that comfort zone that, right. that is designed to save us, right? It's designed to hold us back. Um, but so often we just allow it to, to stop us. And, mm -hmm. and, and I think entrepreneurs as a, as a group of people, I think, push against that more than others, right? Um, are willing to push that. They, they recognize yeah. the need to push against that, that comfort zone because right. otherwise their businesses don't grow very big or very fast. Right, right. Well, we, we're, we benefit for better or worse from placing ourselves in a situation where if we don't grow, if we don't get comfortable being uncomfortable, we won't survive. And so that reptilian part of your brain that you keep talking about that is telling us, oh, don't do that, you're gonna get eaten. Don't do that, you're gonna get eaten. Now it's saying, you have to do that, otherwise you're gonna get eaten. <laughs> and, so, and, so, and so being in this position where, where we, we have to think outside the box, we have to be creative in the way that we, that we look at our business and we have to put ourselves into uncomfortable situations, we have to do that to survive. And, and, that's, and it's exciting and it's terrifying, much like public speaking, but, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting space that we put ourselves in. Absolutely. So, so what was your biggest challenge in that transition from university professor to entrepreneur in a, in a whole new place? Sure, sure. Uh, I, you know, one of the, and there were a couple, but, but I think immediately one of the difficulties that I faced was I had to unlearn being an academic, you know, and I, you know, I spent a lot of time, you know, as, you know, as a professor there, there's, you know, even in a non-tenure track position, there was a publisher parish mentality. You spend a lot of time sort of uh, engaging in, in, in academic language and, you know, and, and big words for big words sake as you're trying to, you know, churn out articles and, and so when I moved into this space, I really had to kind of reinvent a vocabulary that would resonate with 
you know, corporate business individuals that I'm trying to work, you know, whether it's entrepreneurs, whether it's CEOs, whoever it may be, but, but really trying to determine a language for what I do that resonates with those individuals, trying to get out of that academic lingo and, in, and, and reinvent a language that, that engages individuals, just like I would invent a language or help individuals invent a language for themselves that would resonate on stage. Nice. <laughs> so what, uh, obviously, making connections in business networking, what, what was the most valuable in helping you start making connections as you built your business? You know, I think, cause I did, I was pretty immersed in the networking scene and I still am like, I'm still, I'm still obviously engaged in, in making personal connections. I think that's so valuable in terms of the work that I do, but I, I spent a lot of time in network. I had to learn how to network. And I feel like I didn't learn how to network until I left sort of that immersive networking, you know, until I left my networking group. Because one of the things that I, that I realized as I, when I stepped away from it is the danger of transactional relationships, oh. which, I actually think, which I actually think that networking perpetuates, you know, is even, even in the best locations, you know, even in the most pure of intentions, it's you do something for me and I'll do something for you. And that's fine. And, and in fact, I would argue that that's kind of what relationships are to an extent in terms of building a community of individuals that we want to help and who want to help us. We all need that. But, but we can't do that until we commit to deeper, more meaningful personal and professional relationships, oh, you know? So good. And, you know, and, and actually one of, the, one of the branches of my work that is both intimidating and exciting, you know, I talk about, it's very comfortable for me to be on stage and share my ideas. It's very comfortable for me to put other people on stage and help them share their ideas. What it's less comfortable for me is interpersonal communication, is allowing myself to build deeper, more meaningful relationships because that's when vulnerability sets in. That's when people see the chipped parts of us that we can't manicure on stage. You know, that's when we have to allow ourselves to be seen as we are. And, and, and so in my work, you know, the other branch of what I do is, is helping individuals who I would refer as anxious communicators, as timid communicators, as shy communicators, is helping them learn how to build deep, meaningful, personal and professional relationships, you know, helping them sit down and hold space with another individual to see that individual's child in charge, to understand why people tick, you know, to ask more questions than we answer, to listen for listening's sake, um, but also to assert ourselves. And, you know, you, you're, I know that so much of the work that you do is about taking action. And I think it's so important for people to take action in their lives, but I also think it's important when we're building deep, meaningful relationships with individuals, it's important to build that relationship to the point that we feel comfortable asking other people to take action. You know, that it's, yes, it's a decision that we deeply have to make on our own, but we also have to raise the stakes of our own relationships. You mm -hmm. know, think about the people, think about the people in your life who you would dearly love to be able to look at and say, why are you doing this? Like, why are you self-sabotaging or why are you in this relationship? Or, and, and then the fear and the vulnerability that immediately sets in. Ah, if I, if I go there with this person, is this relationship strong enough, you know, to hold that question? And I think that's what, that's one of the things that we lack, you know, and I think we're seeing it more, you know, as we're, we're sort of in this, pandemic, post-pandemic, still pandemic, but you know, what, whatever we want to call this, this society that we're in is there's, we have to, we have to, in many respects, we have to relearn how to build relationships and be social people as we've spent so much time by ourselves. 
which I think has been great for personal reflection. But now we're going back out into the workplace and there's, there's a timidity. I'm afraid, to, I'm afraid to ask for help in this situation. I'm afraid to assert my ideas. I'm afraid to engage with this individual because I'm not sure our relationship can handle it. And I think we have a responsibility as human beings to step up, raise the stakes in our relationships, be willing to ask other people to take action, be willing to put ourselves on the line and say, I want to help, but building communities of individuals again, recommitting to those communities, because that's ultimately how, how we're going to succeed in our lives, personally, professionally. You know, it's, it's part of our core needs. We need to feel love. We need to be a part of a community. We need to feel security. And we can't do those things if we're not engaging with people every day, building deep, meaningful relationships every day, leaving, you know, leaving space to, to learn more about them on deep, intimate levels, you know, and raising the stakes in those relationships and feeling comfortable saying, Robert, why are you doing this? You know, <laughs> Chris, why are you doing this? Like, let's have a conversation about this. Is everything okay? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you about networking being transactional. And, and even yeah. in the best of situations, there's still this, oh, I gave you a referral. Why haven't, why, why haven't you given me one yet? Where's your referral? Yeah. And, and we're counting, you know, we're counting sheep as we exchange mm -hmm. them back and forth. And uh, yeah, I definitely opted out of that kind of place just because I, I want to share referrals, but I, mm -hmm. I want to share referrals without any expectation of, in fact, my mindset is still client centered. Like I want, mm -hmm. I want to train my clients to better serve their clients and, mm -hmm. and create a circle of, of people that, you know what, this is the best insurance. I know five or six insurance agents, but for your age and, and what you're working on, this is the best insurance agent for you. Or, mm -hmm. or I know, you know, 10 realtors and, and, and all of them are my friends, but you know what, I think this realtor, this realtor is going to identify with, you because of these things right and yeah. and so it's it i don't want it to be transactional and just exchanging numbers you know it's not a numbers game it, it's a people game and and, yeah. it, and i i i love that you're talking about these deep authentic relationships where where you're not just vulnerable but you're willing to step in and challenge people to uh to a better life right to yeah. to there's something better out there and 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 why are you satisfied with with what you're doing um, and, yeah. and I think we don't have enough of those relationships. Um, I, uh, one of the interviews, and I'm just going to plug it just because it, it fits here. Uh, Fred Stokes, mm -hmm. uh, Super Bowl mm -hmm. champion from mm -hmm. 1992 and uh, yeah. his interview. And he talks about his new organizations called Lint Brother. And he talks mm -hmm. about the lint in the bottom of your pocket. And basically men have this life they never tell to other people and they mm -hmm. keep it inside and they don't have the relationships necessary to, to have those conversations. And uh, so I just want to throw that out, check out Fred's interview, check out Limp Brother and uh, yeah. learn some more about that because men, men need men to talk to and, and be authentic with and be willing to be vulnerable with and, and share their junk. And uh, yeah. no, there's, not sure. enough, there's not enough of that happening. So thanks for, thanks for bringing that, that yeah. up. Well, and it's, 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 it's funny that you say that because I, I was listening to that, episode, I'd listened to probably the first five minutes of it, when a friend of mine called and it was definitely one of those conversations where it's like, I need to take this call because this is a, like, this is my opportunity to build a deeper, more meaningful relationship with this individual, like to, to, to keep space with this person mm -hmm. um, and, to, and to engage. I mean, just imagine, Robert, you know, we talk about we talk about referrals, you know, and, and yeah, referrals are great. And I think any of us who have done any sort of networking, we probably think in terms of referrals, but I mean, I, I have to believe on some level, we all want to do more than just pass referrals. I mean, imagine, imagine if you had five people in your life who would literally do anything to ensure that your personal and professional life was better. Five people. Mm -hmm. And, and yet, you know, we play, we play so small, we play so safe in our relationships. Oh, I'm going to, this, this might be the per right person for you. I'm going to pass you this referral instead of, 
how can I really help you? What do you really, what do you really need in your life? Like, who can I connect you with? Like, who can I, you know, like what mountain can I help you move so that we can make this happen in your life? That's, I mean, I, I, I have to believe that on some level, we're all desperately searching for that kind of community. Yeah. Well, I hope that I'm trying to build that kind of community with, with my groups and, and that, that they're a group of people that they're not just passing referrals, but they're literally, I want a group of people around me that if my client needs this or that, that I know Mm -hmm. this person's going to give that to them at the same level that I would Mm -hmm. with their level of expertise you know, and obviously better than me. Like, obviously I can't plumb, I can't train public speakers. I can't, I mean, there's just things that aren't in my wheelhouse. And so I need, I need referral partners that are going to take care of my clients at that Mm -hmm. same level. Um, And and that's, that's the kind of relationships that that I want to have and that they're okay with, they get it right. Instead of getting upset or offended that, Oh, I, I referred to this mortgage broker instead of that one. And they're like, oh, but I thought we were friends. I'm like, we are. But that was that was the right person for this client, right? Instead yeah. of, you know, instead of getting, you know, hurt <laughs> or yeah. feeling feeling betrayed. And that's not what it's about, right? It's about, it really is about taking better care of people. Um, I believe entrepreneurship is as simple as you've been gifted with a talent to to serve humanity and and putting yourself out there in a way that helps humanity is is what entrepreneurship is all about right so mm-hmm. what is that problem that you solve what is that that thing that you offer and putting yourself out there and, and providing that solution is the bravest thing in the world but it's also what you were created for and so it's also the the coolest thing in the world and so you know what you're sharing is just so so good touching my heart i just i just love that so on that on that note of idea of of these deeper relationships, um, how important is character as an entrepreneur? I mean, I mean, the way that we show up, you know, and it's, I think, and, 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 and this to me is particularly, this touches me particularly from a public speaking and interpersonal communication perspective, right? Because I think that public speaking, it encompasses, communication it com- encompasses sales it encompasses you know it com- and encompasses so many things and to me the difference between influence and manipulation is character oh that's so you know is is if i'm doing something just for me i am manipulating you if i am doing something for both of us then i am creating influence in our lives and, you know, and when I work with individuals, whether it's on stage in front of thousands or it's in front of one person, you know, I want to empower that individual to, to, create, to create an interchange, right? To like, like that we're, we are providing help, that we are putting ourselves on the line to help another individual, not just to gain a sale, not just to gain a referral, but to better other people's lives. And, and to me, you know, you know, when people, when people struggle with, uh, when, when they struggle with passion or they struggle with influence, it's because they, they haven't, they haven't settled yet on just how important the help they offer is. So good. Yeah, so good. Man, that's pretty powerful. <laughs> I, I like that. <clears throat> so obviously as a professor, you've had mentors in, in mm-hmm. how, how have mentors helped you in your entrepreneurial journey? I, I have so enjoyed I, you know, the, the fun thing about entrepreneurship is mentors come in all shapes and sizes. And I, and I had a wonderful business coach when I first got started. Um, you know, she was, she was smart. She was no nonsense. She, you know, she really, she really helped me look at my business from a business perspective and, and taught me how to be a business person. Nice. But, but the mentors that I have in my life, my wife, 
you know, my mother-in-law, um, my friend who I got off the phone with the other, you know, j just, just a couple of hours ago. Um, you know, these individuals that we collect along the way, these relationships that we collect along the way, this community that we collect along the other, along the way, it's, it's just mentors in all shapes and sizes. I, as much as possible, you know, without losing myself in other people's ideas completely, I am always willing to listen. I am always willing to, to at least entertain a different approach or a different way of looking at my business, at, at, my, at my life, at, at what I bring to the table. Um, and it's allowed me, it's allowed me a number of mentors who have all been able to influence my life in, in really exciting ways. Um, and particularly coming from academia to business, I wouldn't have survived otherwise. Is I had to have individuals who've, you know, I don't think they're finished with their book yet because none of us are, right? But they're just in a chapter ahead of, ahead of mine, and that's, and that's and it's and it's actually it's it's a it's a quote that a friend of mine said to me once, and it it really helped put my idea it put put myself in perspective. Is we can't compare our chapter one to somebody else's chapter ten. And that's, and that's, and that's what a mentor is, is it's just someone who's a couple of chapters ahead of us and they have a mentor who's a couple of chapters ahead of them. And, and we're all, you know, and we're all sort of writing our book together. Absolutely. All right. I'm going to switch it up a little bit. So, so okay. what's your most memorable date? My most memorable date, date? with your, like, with your wife slash or someone else. I don't know. <laughs> oh, well, your, no, no, no. Um, that's on you. So, no, no. So I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm really fortunate. I have a really great story of how I met oh, my wife. Awesome. Um, so, so I was, I was in graduate school. I had just finished up an assistantship at the Berkshire Theater Festival, and um, my graduate advisor had said, "Chris, you're going to be an hour and a half from New York. Go to New York for a week, see a bunch of shows." So, so I dovetailed down into New York City. Um, Saw a week of theater, had an amazing time. It was either, I think it was the third, it was either the second to last night or third to last night. I had been told by some friends at the Berkshire Theater Festival to go to this Czech beer garden in Astoria, New York. And, and I pop in, it's kind of quiet, the food's okay, the beer is meh. <laughs> and, and I'm not really feeling it. I'm thinking, okay, I'm probably gonna go home uh, I'll, I'll watch something on Netflix. I'll go to bed early. I've got another show. You know, I've got to be up early because I'm going to stay on online uh, to to get tickets. So I don't even remember the show. And I look at the end of the table, and there is this gorgeous brunette. And I'm just, you know what? Like, I'm only I'm only in New York for a couple of days. What do I have to lose? So, and she. And she makes fun of me to this day. So I go over and I casually ask what she's drinking, what, what, what she's drinking. And she sort of awkwardly like points over to, to the tap and, and I go over and I get that beer. And then instead of having a seat with her and trying to engage in conversation, I awkwardly go back and sit back down. <laughs> um, and, so, and, so now, and so now this weird moment has passed Fortunately, she looks over at me. She asks if I was a part of a meetup group that she was there for. I tell her no. Finally wander my way back over. We spent hours talking together. Uh, the next night we had an official date. Um, and then I went back to Texas. She was in New York. And for the next four months, we just talked on the phone. And we got to know each other. And, and it was the first time I'd really had a relationship that was like that, where, where we built a friendship first. Um, and then, yeah, and we've been together ever since. Um, we got married uh, July 26th. Uh, three weeks later, we had our baby boy. Um, and man, yeah, and it's just, it's been, it's been an amazing ride. Yeah, well, congratulations on both the wedding and your baby Thank you. boy. Thank you, yeah. Because I know yeah. that's uh, still fairly recent. <laughs> so Five weeks, yeah. five weeks. <laughs> still not sleeping, yeah. Oh, so fun, yeah. Yeah. You have such a journey ahead, and uh, nothing but excitement to yeah. To raise I'm kids, looking, so I am. I'm looking forward to every moment of it. 
what a what a great adventure and with your with your storytelling and theater background it can only just be more and more fun so mm, yes so that's yes. exciting all right so how how do you feel about gratitude how, has gratitude been helpful to you you know i gratitude is something i'm still working on in my own life um i I don't take a lot of stock in the Gary Chapman. I think it's Gary Chapman. Is it the five love languages? You know what I'm talking about? Yep. Um, but, but I would have to identify like if I were, if I had a love language, I'm definitely a words of affirmation kind of a person. I'm much better at share, showing gratitude towards others than I am myself. Um, and I think that's most of us. You know, most of us have, I would say, a more difficult time appreciating ourselves. You know, and it's, I've, I've recently, I can't remember what book I was reading, but it was talking about, you know, talk to yourself the way you talk to your friends, the way you talk to your loved ones, the way you talk to your clients, because we just talk to ourselves like garbage, you know, <laughs> but, but I mean, that, but that's still very much a part of my journey is, is the ability to show gratitude towards myself to acknowledge the work that I'm doing. I'm very fortunate to have an amazing wife who is, is always willing to point out just how much I've grown over the last five years, how much I've changed, how much this experience has transformed me for the better. Um, and, and I do have to say that one of the most amazing things about having a son is looking at him and knowing I have a responsibility to show gratitude to, toward myself so that I can model, you know, permission for him to show gratitude toward himself someday, you know, is, is I already look at this child as perfect. Like he can <laughs> do no wrong. Um, but I know, but I know that, you know, that, that one of the difficulties that we have, and it's, it's one of the difficulties that we have when we're building relationships is that, something happens along the way. There's always, there's always some sort of trauma or grief or shame or experience that results in these safeguards that we start to create for ourselves. You know, this protective shielding, this armor that we put on. And, and for me, one of the, the big things about building deep relationships is so that we can actually have a conversation with one another as opposed to those safeguards. But but understanding that I have to show gratitude to myself because he's going to hit those moments along the way. You know, experience is going to happen in his life and he's going to want to put in those safeguards. He's going to want to put in that protective uh, armor and for him to be able to take a step back and say, maybe I don't need to do that. Right. I am enough um, because that's what was modeled for him. So it's, you know, being a being a dad's a pretty amazing thing, and I'm, I'm very new to it. You know, five <laughs> weeks, but but just having having that present, right, and 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 just in your face, like here is this being who is going to experience the things that you've experienced. How can you prepare him in a way that maybe you weren't entirely prepared for? Or what do you want to what do you want to do differently? What do you want to share differently? What do you want to model for them? What kind of behavior? So that's good. Well, and it's another place where you get a chance to be authentic, right? Yeah. You get to be your, your real self, which means your kids get to see you make mistakes. Mm -hmm. Kids get to hear you say, I'm sorry. Your, your kids get to hear you growing up as a dad as they're growing up as a child. Um, mm -hmm. You know, for, for my wife and I, the one thing that I think we're most proud of is that home was a safe place, that mistakes didn't matter here. And, and yeah. we rest, we had to learn that, right? Like your, your first reaction when your kids make a mistake is, ah, you know, because you're worried about them. But mm -hmm. then when you settle down and you can say, you know what, I, it doesn't matter what mistakes you make, we're here with you. And, and we're going to go through this journey together, whether it's mistakes at school or mistakes in your relationships or mistakes, wherever home's a safe place. And, and yeah. we're going to, we're not going to reject you here. We're going to, we're going to embrace the mistake and we'll figure out together the consequences and how we, how we deal with it. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, I'm happy to say that 
both of my adult children are, you know, still call for advice and still, still have a, a strong relationship with both my wife and I, and, and that's what I'm most proud of. And so, so you have that to look forward to in, in, you know, loving your child un, unconditionally. And, and that means that no matter what mistakes they make, you still love them no matter what. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and it, that's the hard thing to figure out, right? Because that's not how most of us were raised. And, and, and you just, you wrestle with, you know, helping them do right without having to, you know, mess them up in the whole correction thing and discipline. Right. 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 <laughs> so, yeah. But, yeah. But loving, that. loving them is loving them first makes all the other stuff easier. Just loving them. Yeah. Right. Loving yeah. them. And so I, I'm excited to see the love in your eyes and to hear, hear the way you talk about your wife and your son. And, and uh, I know that's going to be an exciting part for, for your journey. So let's talk a little bit about your, your niche. You, you obviously, you know, we're working with actors and you were working with directors and, and now you're working with business people. How did you figure out who your, who your audience is, should be or is? Yeah. <laughs> try, try, trial and error, okay. trial and error. I, I, I very much had, you know, and again, I, I would say that I work with two very different types of individuals. Um, and then there's a very broad spectrum in between. Um, I love working with shy, uncomfortable, timid communicators, you know, and, and equipping them with the skills to be breakthrough communicators, to be able to go into work, to be able to go into their personal relationships, to be, you know, to be able to enter the arena and, and share their ideas boldly. I love doing that. And then there's this really wide gap of individuals who I think are proficient public speakers and they will do just fine. And then at the very edge, there are those exceptional communicators, those dynamic performers who just want to create a show-stopping number, you know, and, and they understand that they can't do it on their own. They understand that, that their skills have taken them as far as they can possibly go, and they need someone who's highly qualified and trained to provide feedback to help shape that story, to help shape that performance into something that is literally going to change the world. Mm. And so, and so that's, and so that's who I like to work with. I like to work with those individuals on that one side of the spectrum that are just, they're just, you know, they, they may be self-professed introverts, right? And I think, I think everybody's an ambivert. I think it's a sliding scale. I feel very deeply about this. Um, but, but, you know, for whatever reason, they've, they've never had a space where they felt like they could be listened to, you know, they don't understand why people don't listen to them and, you know, and they've never had, and that's, and that's one of the scary things about communication training is there isn't any, you know, there's, if you think, you know, if we, if we think about primary school and high school and college, you know, maybe you took, maybe you took a right, you know, I'm sure you took writing classes and maybe you took a public speaking class but there are no social skills, social communication training classes. We need, which, a, we need a public listening class. Oh my gosh, we need a public listening class. We need, yeah, we need all of these classes. We absolutely need all of these classes because what I think ends up happening is because we don't learn it, the assumption is we should already know it. Oh. And that creates an enormous amount of shame. I don't know how to communicate and nobody's teaching me how to communicate. Does that mean there's something wrong with me? Does that mean I don't get to share my ideas? Does that mean I have to, you know, work in the back closet of, you know, of, of my work building and I never get to share my ideas. I never, and I want to help those people. I want to help those people break out of their closets and, and share their ideas because they have them. Um, and I, I can't remember it was, it was one of the podcasts that you, it was one of your podcasts and I can't remember, there were a couple that I listened to. There was Fred and then there was um, a young woman who is, she's a runner, right? But Jacqueline. I think, but I think one, Jacqueline, yes. Um, she's dynamic by the way. She was great. Shout out well, to they, her. Um, they, yeah. They're just getting better and better, dude. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. But, but you said something, you said something along the lines of, you know, it's those individuals who are, 
who are quietly going about their business that are ones that are the ones who are going to change things or the ones who need to change things. And, man, and I want to help those people. And then on the other side of things, I want to take those dynamic individuals who like are, are literally going to be international superstars. And I want to put them on stage, you know, where's the next Tony Robbins. I want to, I want to put that person's story on stage. So, mm. so very, very much those are, that's my niche is one extreme or the other. Nice. Um, well, well, now yeah. you're getting excited. What, what inspires you? What, it, what inspires me watching other individuals be the best version of themselves. Um, because, because for me, the last five years and, and hopefully the rest of my life, I love, I love learning. I love growth. I am for a long time in my life. I would say I was in, um, I can't even remember what it's called now. So you have growth mindset and you have static mindset for all. So for a long time in my life, I was safely in static mindset is I was not interested in other people telling me what to do. I wasn't interested in, I, I, I thought I had it all figured out. You know, I've, I've, I've got my MFA, I've done my studying, I've, you know, I've, I've got this. And the last five years, I have been so uncomfortable as, as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, that, that I have had to go all in with growth mindset. And, and because there's so much fear, there's so much trepidation, there's so much shame and guilt and, and you name it around communication, around sharing our ideas, around you know, getting excited about who we are and the stories that we have. I, like that's, that's, what, that's what gets me up in the morning is helping other individuals find that same passion for sharing their ideas that I have learned in terms of sharing my own. Yeah, that's really good. So what's been uh, your biggest challenge of being a, a new husband, a new dad and running your business? Um, I'm not a great multitasker. Um, I'm, I, I very much want to give one thing my entire attention. And the, the last couple of weeks have been really challenging because, because I've had to go back to work. I've had to go back to work uh, both in my business, working with my clients, but I also have a part-time job. Um, you know, and, and having to leave my family, having to leave my wife, having to leave my son, that's not, that's not what I wanna be doing. And so, and so finding the balance between family and business because um, I'm just as passionate about them as I am about what I do. And so finding that balance has been really challenging. I mean, the fact that he was born five weeks ago and I know that I have done things, but I feel like I have done nothing over the last five <laughs> weeks. Nice. And, and that's, and that's, and that's a challenge for me yeah. is, is obviously I want to keep everything moving forward, but I also don't want to miss a moment of his life uh, Ariel's life, my wife, my wife. Yeah. Well, and, and let me just encourage you. I, I, I don't believe balance exists <laughs> or if, if we find it, then we tell everyone to freeze, right? Like, who we're in balance. Just stop. Right. Like the teeter daughter, right. when you get that one right. little moment where, and so seek harmony, right? Find the vibration, mm -hmm. find the frequency that works for your family and the frequency that works for your job and that you can yeah. float in between the two. Um, and and you're gonna do great, and because I think your heart's your heart's in the right place, and 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 there's a harmony that that'll be natural for your family and honor yeah. both your family and your business. Um, so that's that's exciting. So what do you love to do in your free time? Um, I so Ariel and I um, we love we love going to breweries. We, you know, I probably, we've probably been to somewhere between 75 and hundred breweries all over the state of Colorado. Nice. Um, uh, you know, it's, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, I mean, we both love to eat. Ariel is an excellent cook, um, but we like to get out. I, I haven't gotten to do a ton of it. My sister came into town a couple of weeks ago to, to meet Owen. Um, her and I went to a baseball game, which it was the first baseball game I'd gone to since, since pandemic. 
And man, being in that space, I know, I know that there are people who think that baseball is boring and, and, and I am, and I am fine with that. And I absolutely want to empower their decision to feel that way. But I, but I love, I love being, I love being at the baseball stadium. I love, I love the community that exists. Um, so yeah, so baseball breweries, uh, we loved we loved baseball because yeah. because it really we took our kids to baseball games. Their well, mm-hmm. we lived in South America for ten years, so their last right. years we took our, we took the kids to baseball, you know, four or five times a year um, yeah. to do games, and and it it it's a family activity that that everybody can hang out and enjoy, and and it's not the rules aren't overwhelming, the the yeah. action's not not so much that you have to pay attention to every second of the game, like hockey or, or basketball. And then right. and you can, you can enjoy your company and enjoy the game. Yeah. We loved baseball for, for, for a family activity it was absolutely one of our favorites. And, and it doesn't seem to have the, the crazy crowd that football tends to have. Um, yeah. Yeah. It is, it is a little more subdued. Yeah. Um, which, we, which for me, which for me is my pace. Yeah. Me too. I'm right yeah, there with yeah, you. That's, yeah. that's fantastic. So what's Christopher's big dream? Do I have to pick one? Um, <laughs> the biggest. No, no. You know, it's, it's, I'm going to be the next Dale Carnegie. Okay. You know, that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's my dream. Um, and I won't be the next Dale Carnegie because there's already a Dale Carnegie. So I'm going to be the next Christopher Peck. But, go. but there is, there is a need in our society for stronger communicators. Hmm. You know, there is, there is a, I, I mean, I can't think of a single job application that I've ever seen in my life that doesn't ask for individuals to be strong communicators. And yet I wonder how many people, when they apply for those positions, know what that means. Yeah. I, I, wonder how many, I wonder how many businesses, when they say we're looking for strong communicators, know what that means. You know, are you looking for individuals who are able to build deep, meaningful relationships? Are you looking for individuals who are able to look across, you know, the table at the other person and see the inner decision maker? Are you looking for, for individuals who know not only how to take action in their own lives, but ask other people to take action in theirs? I mean, what do you mean? And, and I, think there's, I think there's such a lack of communication training and skills, and I want to fill that void. Um, I want to, you know, I want to, and, you know, and, and I, and I don't know, honestly, what that looks like. Um, I've, I've got, I've got ideas for what that can look like one year from now, three years from now, five years from now. But the reality is the world will have changed so much in five years that, you know, as, as business people, we're always pivoting anyway. So, you know, so for now, I want to help, I want to help the best of the best. And I want to help the individuals who don't know how to share their voice. Um, and, and, and if I can, if I can help those individuals move a half step closer to their goal, then I'm doing something right. That's terrific. I think, um, I, I think even, even though the world's going to pivot and change, you need to write those down and, 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 and hold yourself to them, right? Make them real. Um, Cause yeah. that's a pretty exciting dream. Um, so, I always end with the opportunity to share your words of wisdom with the entrepreneurs listening. So your biggest piece of advice to, to a, an entrepreneur on the same journey as yourself. My biggest piece of advice right now is take time every day to engage in conversation. Take time every day to move the dial forward on your relationships. You know, as we, we talk about being good communicators, but when was the last time you picked up the phone and called someone important to you? When was the last time that you really followed up on that one-to-one that you had a couple of weeks ago? When, you know, don't just give lip service to it because that's, that's been such a struggle in my life is I say I'm gonna do this, but it hasn't been until I have committed to building deeper, more meaningful, personal, professional relationships that I have felt more personal fulfillment, that uh, the, the clients that I have brought into my life have been 
you know, more engaging, more challenging. Um, take time every day. Call someone, talk to someone on Zoom, sit down, have a one-to-one -one with someone, but engage every day in building deeper relationships. Christopher, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me today. I just appreciate your wisdom and, and, and your passion and your heart. And so thank you. Thank you, Robert. I, I had a great time. Well, if you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe. We have a free gift for you at addvalue2entrepreneurs.com. We've created a collection of the top tips that have been shared on our show for entrepreneurs. Do you struggle with procrastination, putting off the work until the last minute? Well, you are not alone. Many of our clients start there. We are launching a new five-day challenge to help you take more action and make more money in your business. Each day is a 10-minute video lesson and a worksheet. If you take 15 to 30 minutes to do the worksheet, it will change your life in business and exponentially increase the amount of work you get done each day. Right now, it is only $27 and contains five of our best tools for helping you move forward. It can be found at addvalue2life.com slash action. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day.